you remember six years ago when I was introduced as the coach at Colorado, um, I said our goal is to build sustained success here. And here it is six years later, we've been to postseason play every single year, we've been to four NCAA tournaments, we've been to the Final Four of the NIT. Um, we're on the brink, I think, of that sustained success. And we've lost some really good players since the time we've been here. We lost Alec Burks and Corey Higgins our first year. We lost Carlin Brown. We lost um, Austin DeFault and Nate Tomlinson. We lost Spencer Dinwiddie of the NBA. We lost Andre Roberson of the NBA. We've lost some really good players. Now we're losing Josh Scott. And we've been able to continue on. And that's why I say it's not about replacing the production because Josh Scott's rebounds and Josh Scott's points, we will be able to replace those. May not be by one guy, but it'll be by a combination of guys stepping their game up. And that's the challenge to our players is what are you going to do to get better and to produce more next year than you did this year, whether it's George King or Wesley Gordon or Dominique Collier, you name the guy. But we all got to step up. Obviously, having a guy like Xavier Johnson sitting out, who's a proven player, Derek White, who's a very talented guy. The production we will replace. The leadership that Josh Scott gave this team this year is the biggest concern I have as we move forward. How are we going to replace that? Who are the guys that are going to step into that role? Um, is it going to be Wesley Gordon? Is it going to be Xavier Johnson? Is it going to be Dominic Collier? Is it going to be Thomas Akinzili? George King? We're going to figure that out over the next uh, you know, six, to, uh, six to seven months. And that's, that's the answer that we have to have. So I think we've sustained success. We want to continue to sustain success. We want to move forward and, and not only just get into the NCAA tournament and play for an NCAA tournament bid, we want to get to the point where we're playing for an NCAA tournament seed. Welcome in to a basketball Buff Stampede Radio podcast here. We hope you uh, checked out the football podcast we put out there. This is Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, uh, I think a, a sign of a somewhat successful basketball season is when the season ends, and there's that 48 hours of disappointment where you see some grumbling among the fan base, but then you quickly turn the page, and there's a lot of excitement about the next year. Last year, when the, the basketball season ended, we were still lamenting the team chemistry issues, the fact that Askia Booker didn't show up to support his team in the CBI, and all the negative issues dealing with the program. This year, in, in Cadwell's postseason press conference, it was like, we're already kind of turning the page towards next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot more optimism about where this program is going moving forward, which is interesting because Josh Scott is leaving, obviously. So... Um, you know, he's our best player, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, where the program goes ahead. I mean, to me, I'm very confident that this team will actually be better next year. I think our guard play will be improved. Josh Scott is a fantastic player, but the fact remains that post-presence in college basketball just isn't as important as um, guard play. And I think, you know, with Derek White coming in, obviously Xavier Johnson coming back helps us with our post-play as well. Um, I, I really think there's an opportunity for this team to take that next step and actually win a tournament game next year. Um, yeah, I mean, there's def some definite grumbling, which I understand. I mean, you want to find a way to win games in the NCAA tournament from time to time. And we really had a chance to win that game against UConn. I thought we played better for at least 30 or 40 minutes of the game. Um, but, you know, it didn't happen. And, you know, we can talk about whether or not we've plateaued or whatnot. But, you know, 
you just look back at the history of this program, and it just blows my mind that people think making the NCAA tournament isn't good enough now. Well, when I look back to last season, I would think there's more. There should be more frustration with kind of the way the the USC road game ended, the Utah road game ended. Games that could have helped their seeding more so mm -hmm. than what actually happened in the NCAA tournament, because. You win one or two of those games, you're talking about a 17 and, and likely a better matchup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those that's always the way it goes. You could add the Utah home game to that as well. You could add you know a couple different games on the schedule, uh, opportunities that we had for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes in the NCAA tournament, you just have to rely on matchups. And I think we knew right as we saw UConn come up, I mean, we knew that was going to be a difficult matchup for us. I think the frustration comes from the fact that we were up by nine at halftime and largely played better except for one brutal stretch, which, you know, I, it, in hindsight shouldn't have been that surprising given we've had that same those same issues all year long. But I would just caution people to remember that there weren't a whole lot of people that expected this team to make the NCAA tournament this year. Um, they definitely exceeded expectations from the preseason. Uh, I think you have to look at some of the guys on the team and say, wow, we've made drastic improvements. Uh, there's a lot of people concerned before this year, if we struggle again, is Tad Boyle, you know, starting to lose the momentum of the program. And I think, uh, obviously, this year's group, uh, you know, wasted away that notion. I mean, we're, we're sitting there, and I think the expectation again next year is going to be we're going to be a top half back 12 team and definitely have a chance to make the NCAA tournament again. So I, I think the momentum is moving back in the right direction in terms of that. News broke this past week that Treshawn Fletcher and Kenan Guzanich will not be returning to the basketball team. It, it was good to see kind of the reaction from the fan base with Treshawn Fletcher. They kind of understood the minutes dilemma that's going to be on the wing this year um, and kind of understanding that maybe maybe in a perfect world he embraces a, a bit role or red shirts or in, in, and stays within the program. But I think the best thing for Trey Sean Fletcher, the basketball player, is probably to go somewhere else. And I think it was good to see people kind of understand that. Kenny Guzanich, uh, barely knew you, didn't play a whole lot this past season, and when he did play, didn't really show that he had the athleticism, I don't think, to play in the Pac-12. And uh, So uh, it's good you free up a scholarship there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the Kenny news to me is huge because it frees up a scholarship. You've heard rumblings that they were trying to improve the roster, but we don't have any spots left, so how is that going to work out? Um, I almost have to thank him, honestly, because he was never going to play at Colorado. I think he realized that. I think the staff told him pretty bluntly that he wasn't going to be able to play, and they tried to find him opportunities elsewhere, you know. He he wasn't going to help us, so you got to move on there. Trey, I guess it's kind of bittersweet for me because he's a guy that, you know, obviously could have helped the team next year, but he was going to lose minutes. I think with Xavier Johnson and Derek White both being eligible and back next year, He's losing minutes both, you know, playing outside of his position either direction to me. Um, there's just not a lot of available space for him there. And he's a guy um, defensively that you would have probably expected a little bit more out of given his length. Uh, you know, he he at times uh, got pulled out of games for his defensive intensity. Um, he's a guy that you kind of just always was, you were wishing for a little more alpha dog mentality out of him. Uh, he kind of disappeared in games at times, but had the talent to be really helpful to us. So, I mean, he's... You know, with Derek White coming in, some of those minutes are going to be gone. And I, honestly, you know, for him, I think it's probably the best decision to go play elsewhere. I mean, it's tough for the program. You know, I liked him personally. He's a good guy. Um, but, you know, he's leaving on good terms, I think. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with 
moving on, you know, you see a lot of the guys who follow the program, the most are guys who have transferred out before. I mean, Shannon Sharp, back with the program coaching, was a guy who left early. Jeremy Adams is still at a lot of the basketball games. He was a guy who left for his senior year, too. So I don't want people to, you know, put too much into it. I just think he wants to play more basketball, and that's totally okay. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see how we fill that scholarship. I think it's probably going to end up being good for the program, too, because there's a little bit of a, um, an age gap in the roster right now. They need a little more, a few more young bodies, actually. So I think depending on how they use that scholarship, it could end up working out in a, in a positive way for Colorado, too. I know that they're looking to add some big men, so we'll see where that scholarship goes. And, you know, I wish them the best of luck. We were kind of listening back to some of our, our preseason episode to kind of refresh our thoughts about what our preseason expectations were. We did this uh, the preseason show with Ryan Konigsberg. I was the most optimistic of the three of us, and even I was like, yeah, I think it's a bubble team. So obviously they exceeded our preseason expectations. Tyler, you said you, you saw a potential for this to be a bubble team, but you were kind of looking at more towards an NIT team. So what, what surprised you most then about, about the 2015-16 buffs? George King. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for us is that we found another guy who put up big minutes. I mean, looking back on the performances of all the rest of the team, like nothing really stands out to me in a big way. It's super surprising, except for maybe Thomas Accuzili as well. Um, he definitely helped us out a little more than I expected in year one. But, I mean, you knew Josh Scott was going to be a beast. You knew Wes Gordon was going to have these huge games, but sometimes would be struggling overall. Trayshawn Fletcher, same issues we've had with him in years past as well. Josh Fortune, I think, was almost exactly what we expected in that. It's not, it's not under our expectations. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, he averaged 11, right? 10 or 11 a game. 10 points, but uh, the, he shot under 40% from three. Uh, as many turnovers as assists. I, I, I expected yeah. just a tad more out of him. Yeah, I mean... It, you could you could say that for sure. I mean, but oh, by and large, you expected a guy who's probably going to average ten points and throwing a couple of rebounds for you as well. I think most of the frustration comes with him is that he played a lot better than we thought he was going to be at the beginning of the year. Yes, and then struggled toward, down the stretch. Um, but I mean, that he was a sharpshooter at Providence who was streaky, and I think we saw a lot of those same things here this year. Um, I just wish that he had the ball in his hands a little bit more. That's the, or a little bit less, I should say. That was the main thing with him. I mean. The the performances on the you know Dom Collier got better but you know still struggled. I think we were concerned about that as well going in. You saw those issues as we tried to close games a lot. So I think George King is the one thing that really pushed this team over the edge for me as a guy who we expected to maybe be a decent player and really was probably the second or third best player on the team this year. I would say Tory Miller exceeded my expectations a little bit too. He started to finish a lot better. Now his jump shot is still you don't want to see that. You're still watching that through your hands. But I, I was pretty encouraged with him as well. Dom Collier, I had heard a lot of good things about his offseason last year, so I expected him to make strides. He didn't make strides. He didn't make as much of an improvement as I thought he was going to, though. Yeah, I mean, it's he definitely struggled at times for sure. I, it's, he's probably going to be a frustration for CU fans throughout his entire career because, simply put, he's just not athletic enough to get around certain players. And he's always going to have tough matchups with specific guys. I mean, he shot the ball extremely well this year. I wish he shot the ball a little bit more, honestly. Um, but when he gets into the paint, he didn't always make the best decision, and I think that's probably the biggest frustration for me with him. Um, if, if he could just mold his game to a little more Casey Benson, a guy that really doesn't do a whole lot for you offensively other than he always makes the right play for Oregon, 
I think if Dom Collier could, because again, Casey Benson is not an athletic guy, but he always knows where to be on the court. He always knows when to take the big shot. He always knows where to pass the ball, where the offense is going to be run. He's reliable, and I think if Dom can add a little bit more of that into his game, it'll really help him as an upperclassman. Yeah, he had 100 fouls this past season, which was by sizable margin the most on the team. Would he have been better suited going somewhere where they play more zone defense, where his man on his man uh, ability, you talk about his lack of athleticism, isn't quite as exposed? I guess. I mean, I, defensively, though, I, I've never really – his athleticism doesn't bother me a whole lot. I mean, we look – we always complain about the team defense, it seems like, at times. But on an efficiency level, they're among the best teams in the country. So it's kind of interesting to watch that dynamic play out. Uh, to me, there's a lot of ticky-tack stuff that – can be worked out over time. I don't remember him having those huge foul issues his freshman year. So I'm not sure exactly what's going into that for him, but I would like to see if that improves next year, just being smarter in space. Um, you know, it could it could be as simple as he's just, you know, grabbing down on the ball when he shouldn't be and just trusting himself a little bit more. So I, it's, it was concerning this year for sure, but I'd like to see how that plays out next year before I really start to try to analyze what exactly is going on with his S athleticism there. All right, before we move on and start talking about stuff about next year, let's quickly grade each player and kind of how we felt their performance was during the 2015-2016 season. Uh, let's start with an easy one here. Josh Scott, I think uh, an A? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you could argue against it. Uh, I think one of the main concerns for us um, in coming into the season was, is he going to return to be healthy? You know what I mean? Because like, we, we struggled mightily without him the year before, and by and large, he was extremely healthy this year, and he was an absolute beast. I, I saw I saw the other day that Ryan Anderson was an honorable mention All-American at Arizona, and Josh wasn't, and that just really pisses me off. Like, there's, you just can't tell me that Ryan Anderson was more important to college basketball this year than Josh got. There's no way. So most of the guys that were rotation players for CU had more than 40 turnovers, uh, George King 63, Josh Fortune 76, Dominique Collier 69. Why I'm pointing this out is, is to bring it back to Josh Scott. He played 979 minutes, is getting double teamed, and he only turns the ball over 40 times, and he's got 58 assists. He really improved in that aspect mm -hmm. of the game throughout his career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he definitely figured out how to pass out of the double team this year. Uh, kind of an issue for him the last two years money became good enough that people were doubling off of him. I thought they did a bit a good job in general of finding him shots into the paint, um, which is tough in college basketball. I think they really did a good job of being like, listen, he's one of the best big men in the country. you got to get him the ball and let him go to work. And I think mo you know, most often this season they did a really good job with that, and he really carried us in a lot of games. Next up, George King, and I think if you were basing this strictly off preseason expectations, maybe you give him an A. I'm going to give him a B just from, as Ted Will said after the season, he hasn't taken that next step of, uh, he can create for himself, but he has not been able to really create for others, his assisted turnover ratio. And at times, he kind of forgot that he's a really, really good rebounder. Um, so that's that's why I don't give him an A. Yeah, I would actually say B minus, honestly, um, only because I think defensively, 
he needs a lot more work. I really liked how he played defensively the last seven or eight games, though, so I'm hoping to see that improvement um, throughout the year. He's a guy who's extremely talented and extremely athletic, and you talked about it at, down the stretch. He's like, wow, I, you know, I wasn't rebounding enough, and I really need to. And it, there, there, I wish he had that revelation with other aspects of his game, too. He's the one guy on the team that I feel really confident can create for himself, and along that can create for others. He's really good with that pull-up in the lane. He should be able to dump that off to the post or kick it out to the wing as well. I think he's a guy that can really be a bigger playmaker for us. And also, he's disappeared a little bit. I mean, he, he disappeared in that tournament game in a big way. I, I think he took one shot in the second half when we're going through that big offensive you know, struggle. He can put the ball in the basket. Sometimes It's so funny because before the season, we were concerned about him shooting too much. It almost seemed like as the year went on, like he wasn't actually shooting the ball enough because he's capable of creating shots for himself. And, and, and when we go through those big stretches where we can't score, he really needs to be able to take over. I think that's the next step for him to become a leader and you know kind of have that Spencer Dinwiddie approach that, no, we're not going to go five possessions without scoring. I need to go to the rim and finish. And one of those times where he disappeared, one of the worst times to disappear is in the NCAA tournament. We mm -hmm. didn't see much out of him in that game against UConn. No rebounds, no assists. I think he only uh, was with two of six shooting in that game. So yeah. you know, obviously would have liked to see him assert himself more on that big stage. Josh Fortune, I'm going to give, uh, I know there's some CU fans that would give him a D, but I think that's overreacting yeah. to some of the turnover issues. I'll, I'll give him, I'm kind of torn between a C and a C+. Plus. You, you break the tie for me, Tyler. Um, I would have it as a C plus, just based on his expectations and what he did for us. The most frustrating thing for me is that he's a very capable talent if he just does what he's good at. That's, that's the thing for me is people are more frustrated with him than I am, I think, because if they can just rein in what he does on the court, he's our best defect perimeter defender, first of all. So people want to forget that, too. But at time, I mean, that, that was why he was in the game at the end, because he's guarding people. And, uh, you know, guys like Trayshawn Fletcher and George King at times were not. So to me, that's obviously an important factor as well. And he won us a couple of games. I mean, by shooting the ball well, obviously, yes, the turnovers are a huge concern, but... I think we knew a little bit of that was going to be an issue coming in. So it's hard to really, like, crush him for something that we, he's he was kind of the player we expected a little bit, at least in my eyes. Um, and I think he can improve on those turnovers down the stretch if, he, if we really just hammer home. Like, we want you to shoot the ball when you're open. You're a fantastic shooter. I don't want you to try to get into the lane over three guys and finish. That's not what you're good at. If, if he can just rein that in a little bit for a senior year, I could really see him having a really good season. Dominique Collier, I'm going to – Kind of torn between. I'll see a C minus here. Yeah, that's probably fair for me too. Um, much improved over his freshman season. I think that's lost a little bit, but uh, still a long way to go. I guess is how, is, I guess is how I would put it. Um, at times he was so fun to watch, really patient, made all the right decisions, and at other times he couldn't get up and down the court without doing something that made you scratch your head. So um, I think junior year is going to be a big year for him. Um, well, it has to be, otherwise he's not going to be starting anymore. It, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thomas Akizili is already pushing him in my eyes. If he finds that stroke that Dom found his sophomore year next year, I think Dom's going to be in some trouble unless he really improves. I mean, Thomas Akizili, the only thing that he struggled with last year was shooting the ball from the outside. He was very impressive to me as a freshman. Um, so, yeah, Dom is going to have to be ready to go and kind of get that leadership general point guard mentality in or, or he's going to be in some trouble. And let's not forget, Bryce Peters is coming in too, and I had definitely had some high expectations for him as well. He's one of the most confident recruits I've talked to. Uh, I, I get a, 
a kind of a Spencer Dinwiddie type of confidence out of him. Uh, he's he's a guy that uh, I'd be very surprised if he is not uh, at some point during his career one of the top two or three guys on, on CU's basketball team. Oh, absolutely. Wesley Gordon, I'm going to give uh, I'll give him a solid B for his his season. Um, I actually give him a B plus. Uh, I've been about as hard on him as I have been on anybody, honestly. Um, but I really like the way he stepped up this year with Josh uh, when he was out for those few games and had some big games defensively um, as well. Started to make a name for himself nationally. You saw a lot of analysts really loving him once we started making the NCAA tournament. He's a guy that I've grown on a little bit in terms of doing those intangible things, but I was actually this happy to say is probably incorrect, but I, I was proud that Josh got first team all defense and not West because all along I've been talking about how Josh to me was super underrated defensively in terms of in terms of this team uh, in comparison to West especially. He's a guy that on the ball um, struggles a little bit more than I think he should, but I, I think he knows, you can hear after the season ended, you can hear in his voice that he knows it's his time um, to step up and make a big impact. And I really like the way he shot the ball this year, uh, a lot more confident. Um, so to me, he, he made a pretty big improvement and one that I think was necessary for us. We've seen some moments from him uh, when Josh Scott has been hurt that have you really excited about what a, a what a Wesley Gordon could give you next year as your primary big man for sure. Next, Trayshawn Fletcher, who we discussed already, is transferring out of the program. You touched on his inconsistencies earlier. It's like he showed promise in like almost every phase of the basketball game, but could never put it all together. Uh, I'll go a C minus here, I guess as well. Yeah, I was gonna say a C or a C minus as well. I mean, to me. His grade is almost hurt because of the fact that he is fully capable of doing so many things in the basketball court, but you just never see it for a full game. Um, people got frustrated with Tad for sitting him at key stretches at times when he was shooting the ball well, but, but the bottom line is the kid doesn't shoot more than five or six times a game for a reason. He just doesn't have that mentality, um, and that's the frustrating thing for me. I, I really do think that he had the talent to be a much better player at Colorado, just, just doesn't have that next-level um, consistency or... I don't want to say effort because not he didn't try hard, but it's just it's just a mental thing for him where he he just wasn't that guy who was going to take over games for you. Yeah, uh, Tory Miller, I'll, I'll go B minus just because I liked some of the, the improvements I saw out of his game. I'm a little biased because I think he's one of the the best character guys to ever come through the program, which is ironic that he's the guy that gets kicked out of a game for biting somebody. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I really like his game, uh, but he. he uh, Every time he's standing at the top of the key with the ball, I literally like hide under my seat because I'm afraid that he's going to shoot the ball. I just it's kind of the same thing I say with Josh Fortune. Like, please just go into the game and guard somebody and rebound and dunk over them. Like, you're not ready for the jump shots. <laughs> like, how many times did he airball a baseline jump shot this year? Like five or six at least. Yeah. I just you know, and he's not even a terrible passer either, but he kind of just gets in his own head and sometimes on the offensive floor and just kind of panics. Um, so to me, I mean, he made a lot of improvement for sure. I would have him in the B-minus range from what I expected him preseason as well. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to play a lot of minutes next year. I think he has a chance to time to take over that Wes off-ball shot blocker role because he's very athletic um, as long as he can stay out of foul trouble. Um, I, I think he's going to continue to get a lot better. He was much better from the free throw line this year, which is important as well because he's a big body and he's definitely going to get some fouls down low. Um, I think his... Him playing more is gonna. We're gonna be more athletic next year. 
which I think between Wes and Josh and Xavier Johnson on the front court, I mean, that's, that's the thing that all of those guys have more athleticism than Josh got. Um, so obviously you're losing a lot with Josh. He's much better than all three, but I think that's just a different dynamic that we're going to have next year. You're probably going to see a lot more alley-oops, a lot more finishes, dunks around the rim, you know, some of that stuff that really excites the fan base because he's going to be playing more. Next up, Xavier Talton, his last year with the Buffs. And, and you look at his stat line and not a whole lot, that stands out. Uh, I mean, he was very good as a clutch free throw shooter down the stretch in some games. I'll give him a C. Um, I, he kind of was what he was at. He definitely bounced back from his junior year when he was in that D minus range. He really struggled last year. Yeah, I actually have him as a B. I was, I admittedly am biased, and I've always kind of had uh, some love for Xavier Talton. Last year was super tough on me because I've always been a huge fan of his, and he was pretty much. I mean, he was terrible last year. This year, I thought he at, down the stretch of games he was he I didn't worry about him at all, which is a total change from the year before. I mean, he's a guy who was always in there locking down guys defensively. Thought he did a really nice job of that. Hit a lot of timely open threes. Hit a lot of clutch free throws. Um, and was a second ball handler. We're definitely going to miss him next year, and I was really happy to see him improve and get more confident as this year went on. You have to give a lot of props to Tad for continuing to trust him. And you could kind of just see over the course of the year, he really gained his confidence back and was a really reliable weapon for us, I thought, down the stretch. He's never a guy that was going to score a ton of points. But I thought, he, for the most part, he did exactly what he was supposed to do on the court at all times. And I was just really happy to see him kind of finish strong with CU because he deserves it. Thomas Akizili, you talked about him a little bit. Um, again, kind of great now, a little bit of a curve because he was a true freshman. I'm going to go B+. Plus. Mm -hmm. um, he's going to obviously have to improve to earn that same grade a, a year from now. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly where I had him as well, actually, which is kind of interesting. I thought he might go lower. Um, I love him. He pushes the he pushes the pace every time he gets the ball. He really does a nice job of finding seams in transition and getting to the rim. Um, if he finishes better in half-court offense and if he can start making those open threes that he's going to see, he's going to be a stud. I, I really honestly think that he could be an all-conference type of guy if he stays all four years. I just really love how he pushes the pace. If he can find a way to shoot 40% from three somewhere in Colorado, he's going to be a really good player. And I'm really excited to see um, how he develops because I think he has a chance to be really, really good. I think that's it. I mean, Kunin Guzanich, I'll say incomplete, and he's leaving anyway. So uh, <laughs> do, do, we should probably give Brett Brady some love, though, before Eli we... Eli Stalzer? Eli Stalzer. Is that uh, all we have left? Eli Stalzer played 18 minutes this year, so I don't... How many did Brett Brady play? He played 19 as well, okay, but so uh, he did uh, he did make three field goals. Whereas I didn't I didn't notice this until now. Eli did not make a field goal during his senior season. Is that real? Oh yeah. wow, I didn't realize that either. I mean, Brett Brady, the guy's cash. I was <laughs> yes. so happy. I was honestly happy for Ryan because he's always talking about how he makes these ridiculous <laughs> threes, and then he made that ridiculous three at the end of the one game. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome because everyone went crazy for that. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make fun of the, these guys or whatever. Like, they're all important and, um, you know, help each other, help help them out in practice. And you could see, I mean, the guys respected Brett all the time. They talked about how, much, how he was the best shooter on the team. So, you know, those are important pieces. And, you know, you don't want those guys to get forgotten because they work hard too. Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted Brett Brady playing, like, 15 minutes a game. But I contend you could have put him out there for five or six minutes and he would not have been a huge uh, yeah. negative out there on the basketball. Yeah, I agree. I think he, I, he honestly, I think, deserved to play probably a little bit more. 
And you got to respect the fact that Brett Brady could have gone to a smaller college and played a lot of basketball. And so he sacrificed a lot to be a Colorado Buffalo. He could have been a 30-point-per-game guy, depending on where he went, lower level. I mean, yeah. it, it, outside of D1. I, I mean, I really think that he would have been a beast at D2 or D3 for sure. All right, well, let's move along here and kind of look ahead a little bit here. Derek White is the guy that everyone's talking about because there were days where he was the best player on the practice courts uh, this winter. And uh, I want to ask you, Tyler, what, what do you put as kind of a ceiling and a floor for him in his one and only season that he'll play with the Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wish I had gotten a chance to see him more in practice this year to really be able to answer this question confidently. I kind of have to rely on you and Ryan a little bit from what you guys have said about his game. But to me, I expect him to be the leading scorer on the team next year. So I guess that's my ceiling. Um, my floor is a better Josh Fortune. I mean, I, I legitimately expect him to be better than what we saw from Josh this year. I, I can't imagine it not being the case. I think he's a lot more controlled as a basketball player, um, more capable of handling the ball to things that Josh doesn't have either of those really in his game. So if Dom and Thomas are in foul trouble and or struggling this year, I think you could see Derek White playing a little bit of point guard as well. Um, Tad loves him, so he's going to give him a lot of leash. And uh, I think fans will be excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, I, I do expect him to lead the team in scoring, so my ceiling would be higher than that. I mean, you heard a reporter from the Springs ask Tad, well, if he could be a conference player of the year. Now, that might be a little extreme, but... All conference. I mean, they named ten guys to that team. I definitely think that's ceiling. I mean, if he if he's, I'll, I'll say this: if he's all conference next year, this team is going to be really good, like really good, like probably a six seed or better. I, that's how I feel if if that ends up being the case. Colorado obviously had a lot of talent on there in terms of their front court players this last year. So a lot of times with two bigs on the court. I'd imagine, kind of given their depth at the wing position this upcoming season, it's going to be a little bit of a different makeup on the court. It's going to be a smaller team you're going to see out there with just one traditional big out there at most times. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, you're, if your argument is that Xavier Johnson's not a traditional big, which you know I buy, obviously, he spends a lot of time on the perimeter, um, you're definitely going to see a lot of four out. Um, Xavier Johnson is a guy that I am really comfortable with inside the block, though. Um, someone who's really crafty around the paint. He's going to be undersized at times, but quicker than the guys he's going to be guarding. Um, I actually think that four out is honestly going to help the point guard situation as well. Um, a lot of point guards at this level struggle to get the ball inside. Um, it's a tough cover for a lot of these guys. So I think not having to feed the ball into your best player, which obviously was Josh this year, I think that honestly helps the offense flow a little bit at times. Um, the passing was a little bit easier. You're making cuts into the lane and you have more guys on the perimeter that are open rather than trying to find tight spaces for the big men to score. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Torrey Miller will play a lot of minutes, uh, but he's not going to start. I think you'll probably see Xavier get most of those minutes along with Wes um, in the front court. Uh, honestly, it creates more matchup problems, I think, for other teams. So anytime you can do that with your starting front court, I really like that. I mean, you have really athletic guys in Xavier and Wes in, um, in terms of both being able to shoot on the perimeter, both having pretty good passing ability. Um, a traditional big is going to really struggle to guard either of those two guys. I mean, you, you saw Wes Gordon have success on Amita Brima in the NCAA tournament, which actually really opened my eyes um, to what he could be able to do next year because Brima is a stud shot blocker. And for Wes to be able to score over him, I really honestly think all things are possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a much different look. 
but it's a team that really shot the ball well last year from three. Um, struggled a little bit down the stretch in that regard, but much better than in years previous. And now you're adding back a guy in Derek White and Xavier Johnson, who are both good three-point shooters as well. I think there could be a lot of issues guarding this team next year. The 2016-17 schedule is starting to come out in bits and pieces. We do know that Colorado will play road games at BYU, Air Force, and Portland. They're going to have home games against Xavier and CSU. And then they're going to participate in that Legends Classic out at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. That field includes Texas, Northwestern, Notre Dame, and those pesky Seattle Redhawks. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of hoping to avoid them, honestly, because it's bringing back bad memories <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, but uh, the other three guys, so it's, for those who don't know, it's a very similar setup to the tournament we played in in Vegas this year. So we're going to have two, um, two lower-level opponents as home games, and then you're going to travel to Brooklyn and play two games against Northwestern, Notre Dame, and Texas. So depending on whether you win that first game, you know, we, we, we don't know who we're matched up against first. But the two home games will be against Seattle, Eastern Washington, Bryant, or Louisiana Monroe. So that, that'll that be two of your home games that fit the schedule there. Um, Eastern Washington, right off the bat, is a team that's traditionally pretty good. Um, so getting a matched up against them will help your RPI, help your strength to schedule, that kind of stuff. So that's one that I would prefer, prefer to see for sure. Um, the other three are traditionally not great. Um, Louisiana Monroe is decent at times. It just depends on the year for them. Um, so... Those are two home games that we know we have, obviously, in addition to CSU and Xavier. Uh, the Xavier news is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, kind of brings me, I'm from Ohio, obviously, so they're a team that I watched a lot growing up. Uh, I think um, there's a lot of Midwest people in Colorado, so there'll be some interest in that game for sure. And Xavier is legit, so anytime you can get guys like that on home, at home on your schedule, that's huge. Um, BYU is the best team we played at home last year in the non-conference. A lot of people were not happy with that in terms of our schedule when you talk about the committee and teams who are rating us in the bracketology, that kind of stuff. So having Xavier at home is a huge opportunity. Um, on the flip side, playing at BYU is a great road game um, in terms of not playing them at home. That's a, you know, a traditional power um, mid-major school. Usually they're pretty good right around NCAA tournament level. Um, playing them at, on the road is a much bigger game than playing them at home. So that's good for us. Uh, Air Force and Portland are both scary. Interesting. Scary, I guess we'll say, but also opportunities to get road wins. I mean, you talk about all the time. The committee wants to see you play away from home and win. Obviously, those are but neither of those teams are great, uh, but at the end of the day, road wins count. So those are important too. Um, CSU at home, not expecting them to be very good next year, unfortunately for us. So that doesn't do a whole lot for our schedule, in my opinion. And then we still have four open spots, given that we're playing. Three true road games and two games neutral, I would expect all four of those, or at least three of the four, to be home games against Cupcakes. Um, you have to have some of those on the schedule for sure, as long as you can hopefully avoid playing a really bad team um, amongst those. You know, you want to play teams that are maybe in the 200 or the RPI rather than the 300. That always helps for sure. But I think that's what you can expect to see out of the remaining non-conference schedule. And then in conference this year, uh, they will definitely travel down to the Arizona schools because they didn't this last year, and then vice versa. The LA schools will definitely be coming out to Boulder. We got quite a few questions from fans, so let's jump into our mailbag here. You've got mail, 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 mail. You've got mail, mail. You've got mail. Shy Buff on Buff Stampede 
asked, Will Boyle be making a shift to recruiting more international players with the recent hire and offers? Also, which responsibilities will each assistant have in game preparation slash management and player development? Of course, he's uh, kind of alluding to the fact that Bill Greer is expected to replace Rodney Billups as an assistant coach on CU staff. Greer has a good defensive background, is kind of a reputation he has. Uh, he has done some international recruiting. I mean, he was the recruiting coordinator, the, the coach that oversaw recruiting for Gonzaga for like a decade. So obviously they recruit a lot of international guys. Uh, but he does, he has ties out in California too, recruiting and stuff. So it's not like he's only an international recruiting guy. We've seen Tad Boyle stick his toe in the water there here recently. It's worked out well with Thomas Akizele, not so much with Kenan Guzanich. Um, I don't know. I don't see them going all in on international. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, they're not going to. But honestly, I mean, Nate Thomason and Shane Harris Thompson in the past, we saw international players um, at Colorado as well. So I mean, it's it's kind of one of those trends that international basketball is so much bigger now. Like there there are guys capable of playing in college all over the world. So you see a lot of programs now have international guys, much more so than you saw maybe a decade previously or whatever. So I think Gonzaga was kind of the front runner in that. Of yeah. being, and St. Mary's is fantastic at that well as well. They always have guys from Australia and St. Mary's too. Um, of, of finding these guys that can come really help your program. I, I think they'll look at it a little bit. I mean, Tom Sakazili obviously is a guy that's really going to help this program. So they'll continue to do it if they find the right fit. Um, you know, they were looking obviously at Harry Froling as well, mm -hmm. who was an Australian guy before bringing Bill Green in. So if they find someone that they really like, they'll definitely go after him. In terms of the game preparation, that had always been uh, split up between the three assistants in the past. I would be surprised if they made any changes there. Um, and then you've seen Mike Rohn work with the big men mm -hmm. and uh, Coach Prelo work with the guards. I guess we'll, it'll be interesting to see how – Bill Greer kind of fits in in terms of if he's going to work with a specific set of uh, certain players. So uh, at this point, I don't think we really know that, do we? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I have no idea if he worked with a specific group of guys at Gonzaga. Um, but, you know, yeah, you're right. Roan is more traditionally working with the bigs. Um, and then they usually split up the guard duties amongst the other two. So I, th I think you'll probably see that be the case with Greer as well, unless he has some form of big man training that I don't currently know of. But, yeah, I, I think there won't be a whole lot of changing in, you know, how they run the program. Buff AZ asked, do you agree with Coach Boyle's comments that the 2016-17 squad could be his best team yet? I 100% agree. I'm very high on this team next year, despite us not having a whole lot of size. There are a lot of weapons, a lot of versatility. Um, they bring in a guy who's going to help defensively in Derek White. They bring another guy who's capable of helping defensively in Xavier Johnson. He's very versatile. I don't think people will call him an elite defender, but... He's a matchup problem for a lot of different guys. I just This team is very, very intriguing to me because no matter who we play, we're going to be able to run somebody out on the court that has a huge mismatch advantage over the team we're playing. I really do feel that way. What, what could keep this from being Tad Boyle's uh, best squad? Is it if they don't see growth out of – if they don't have a lead guard really emerge? And, and what my expectation for that, Tyler, would be that – it, whether it's Dominique Collier or Thomas Akizili or, or Bryce Peters, that at the very worst, the production they get out of their starting point guard ranks somewhere in the middle of the Pac-12 in terms of starting point guards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, obviously, 
just avoiding the injury answer because, you know, that can crush any team, sure, obviously. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, if you don't get improvement out of your guard play, we're going to struggle because now we have the same issue we had this year without Josh Scott, which is obviously a recipe for a problem. Um, but to me, you know, if we have marginal improvement over all the guys that are coming back next year, there, you would, it's just, it's just hard to imagine for me that we will struggle next year. It really is. I mean, I would think worst case scenario is we're a team that again is on the bubble. I really, I really feel that way. There's just a lot of talent uh, and a lot of options with this team, and I, I think the Pac-12 is down a little bit next year too. Um, and not necessarily in terms of the top teams that are going to be making the tournament, but that the back half, which was very, very impressive this year in the Pac-12, you're going to have a few teams. Washington, they have a top 10 kid coming in, but losing Marcus Christian to Junte Murray and Andrew Andrews is impossible to replace. You know, and that was a team that was middle of the road last year. I mean, UCLA, you'll probably see getting better, but Utah, again, is going to be losing a lot of talent. Um, Jacopoto, one of the best big men in the country, hard to replace. So uh, I think that the back three or four teams in the Pac-12 are going to be worse next year, and uh, there's going to be more opportunities for us to advance. One thing I guess you got to mention here, too, in terms of what they need to replace is Josh Scott's leadership. Mm -hmm. That's something that Tad Boyle kind of expressed. I don't know if concern's the right word, but he said, hey, it's somebody's, some other guys are going to have to step up to fill that yeah, void. Yeah, I mean, we had that leadership question before this year, too. I mean, I wouldn't have said, called Josh a big-time leader before this year, but you totally saw that transition. And Wesley Gordon is a very quiet guy. There's no doubt about that, but I really liked what he had to say in all the postseason interviews this year. I think he understands that it has to be him. He doesn't necessarily have to be a rah-rah guy. But that hard work and, you know, making, especially defensively, I think he can be the leader of that defense, and that's important. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the other guys step up. I think George King, similarly, had a lot of the, right, the, the positive things to say about what he expects in terms of his role going forward. So it's not, I don't want to say it's easy to have somebody step up in a, into a leadership role, but I think I will say this team is a lot more comfortable with each other. So... You have that going for you as well. Like they all seem to like playing with each other, and there's there's not a lot of back and forth banter amongst these guys. And even if they don't have one traditional leader, I, I think they all understand what they need to do. Xavier Johnson, in his first three years when he was healthy, could ignite the Coors Event Center crowd more better than any player on the team. Mm -hmm. But you saw a little bit too much much up and down with his emotions. Sure. I'd like to see a little bit more steady Eddie out of him in terms of his emotions this year. Yeah, definitely. But I. Um, same thing. I, I don't really hate that as much if you're able to get your guys going. Uh, I think he's a guy that obviously is much happier when his team is doing well. I mean, I think you saw that was the biggest concern with him when they struggled the year before. I don't think he'll have that problem next year. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy that definitely can get everybody going. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that he's a little bit hit or miss because um, he has that fire, and I think that's what you want more than anything. Um and I, I think there are guys that will be able to ring him in. I think Tad Boyle does a good job of Xavier Johnson. He's always kind of had that personality. Um, so I, I really expect him to kind of step up and be that leader as well. Hopefully with XJ in the media, we can kind of have a fresh start as well. It's not that it was ever really bad, but it was just clear that he didn't like us. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting too, because, you know, I definitely throughout the years had, kind of a reputation with the team as a guy who said too much sometimes, but he always comes up to me and is like, you know, I really appreciate everything you do for the program. Like, 
you know, keep it going. Like, you, you know, I, I really like listening to what you have to say. And he's just always a really nice guy. He comes into Blake Street all the time. And he's he's the one guy you would expect to really, like, take some of the things I say in their overly negative yeah. light. So that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me that this year, while he was sitting out, he kind of took to, you know, being a really nice guy towards me. Because, I, you know, I've said some more volatile things than a lot of the media has, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I, I do. And the why I say I hope you get a fresh start with him is I do think he's misunderstood mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So we'll see what what happens there. Otherwise, it's gonna be a long year. <laughs> yeah. Vince Belukak on Twitter asked, "Which Pac-12 team is losing the most on its roster? Where did, do you see the Buffs team finishing next year in the Pac-12?" You talked about Washington, mm -hmm. them in Cal, in Cal with Tyrone Wallace graduating, Jalen Brown, Ivan Rab going pro. Those are the two teams that are just getting decimated in terms of their, yeah, their roster. Yeah, I was going to say Washington and Cal as well. We talked about Washington a little bit earlier in the show. Marcus Chris, who. A lot of us in the Pac-12 have been harping as needs to be more highly touted. You see, as soon as he declares for the draft, he goes from a second-round pick to a lottery pick, which I just find to be hilarious. Um, DeJunte Murray, I think, will have a similar jump once people see him in workouts. He is a stud. Um, really skinny, for sure, um, and a guy who probably needs a little bit of development in the NBA, but a, absolutely an NBA player. You'd be crazy not to take a look at him. Um, and Andrew Andrews, big-time player for them. I mean, one of the best players in the conference. Cal, tough for them. I mean, Tyrone Wall is, again, one of the best players in the conference, and they have two lottery picks leaving as well. You look at the remains of their roster, they're going to be in some trouble next year, I think. Jordan I mean, Matthews, I think, has got yeah, another year, back, right? and Jabari Bird, but they both kind of rely on other people to yeah. get them open. Like Jordan Matthews is a good player who can get really hot, but he's also a guy who can do absolutely nothing for you for long stretches. Um, so to me, they're going to be in a, in a world of hurt this year. A lot of people like Jabari Bird. Not a huge fan, honestly, of his game. Um, so they're, I mean, they, they might still be a decent team next year. I don't think they're going to be like 12th in the pack or anything like that, but they're not going to be a, you know, a four seed in the NCAA tournament like they were this year for sure. Um, yeah, besides those two, Utah obviously is going to take a little bit of a step back with Brandon Taylor graduating, even though I, he's not. He, but the, the problem with them is he's their only traditional point guard, despite the fact he wasn't great this year. I mean, obviously, Jakob Portal um, is, if not the best big man in the country, one of the top two or three for sure, and they're going to struggle without him. I, I like Kyle Kuzma. I like Bonham, uh, Lorenzo Bonham as well, but they're going to have to have some other guys step up if they want to be at the same level they were this year. It's kind of early at this stage to definitively say where the buffs. Yeah, I mean, people are in. still. Yeah, and there are a lot of five stars still. There out could there be transfers that could, mm -hmm. like, yeah, Colorado definitely. has two scholarships to play with. At this yeah, point. I mean, Arizona um, is probably the biggest wild card, I guess I would say, because they lose a lot of talent. Ryan Anderson is gone. Gabe York is gone. Um, we'll see if Alonzo Trier goes to the draft. Um, they got a kid that was a five-star last year waiting in the wings that got hurt and missed the entire season. Um, and they're still in on some big-name five-stars. Uh, it's, it's it's hard to say how those five-stars will always impact you. It seems like at Arizona, a lot of the times, they kind of underwhelm. Um, but they have a chance to be really good, or they could be, again, kind of struggle. Like, the, you know, this year they weren't all that impressive, too. I, I think the one team that you have to feel really good about getting a lot better next year is UCLA. Um you know, they obviously big-time disappointed this year, and their incoming class is really good. Alonzo Ball is one of the best players in the country. I expect him to be a stud right away for them, so I think they'll be pretty good next year. Well, we have one question left here. It's from our guy, L underscore Rod, on Twitter. He asked, favorite Vegas hangover cure? 
I got to say, uh, between covering the Pac-12 tournament and being sick, I didn't really go hard in Vegas this last time. I basically hung out in the Westgate Sportsbook most of the time, so yeah. I didn't really... I, I will say I didn't sleep much, so when I came home... My, my Vegas hangover cures, when you get home, just sleep for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, definitely for for me, there's a lot of sleep involved. Um, and this isn't actually a hangover cure, but it's kind of a rule that I have in Vegas is that when I get home at 5, I have to eat. Because otherwise, I feel like crap. Like the, if you, all my friends will agree to this. But if I'm hungover, it's over for me. Like I, I puke all day. So, oh wow, yeah. So that that's the only way to get through it is you just it, it all comes out and you know you puke and then you're done. But um, yeah, I'm not a great hangover guy. I try to I'm, I'm, I do preventative measures. You know what I mean? Like I make sure I eat beforehand and drink a lot of water when I go to bed to try to avoid that because I don't like to sit in my room all day. I like to party and have fun. So. Well, we're just turning into a couple responsible adults here, Tyler. No, I'm not turning into a responsible adult at all. That's not true. <laughs> so, uh, so you guys stayed out of trouble. I, I left on uh, Friday night. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys. How, how long were you in Vegas for? I was there for eight days. So, yeah, for me. So it, was, it all kind of ran together. It's all, all a big it blur. Was, it was brutal, man. I, day seven was one of those full-on recovery. I didn't leave the room for most of the day days, so I was ready to go by the end, honestly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't do anything too crazy. I will say it was uh, probably the f the funnest, like, I, the group of guys. We had a great time. Like, we really get along really well. And there's yeah. no drama. Um, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of laughter and a lot of drinking. But um, it, it wasn't – we didn't do as crazy a stuff as I've done in years past. So uh, we've already promised each other that we're, we're going to go harder next year. And uh, to be honest, I'm kind of – me and Murray are always the ringleaders of that. Um, and I was already – by the time they got there, most of the group got there day five. So I was already like trying to self, you know, kind of extend my trip by doing these things. And that's not normally my style. Normally I'm the guy that's kind of rallying the troops and make sure everybody has a good time. So um, next year I'll be more ready and we'll, we'll have more of a fun. It was kind of funny. I was there for eight days and I didn't do a lot of the stuff that I love to do when I'm there. I don't, so I don't know what I was doing a lot of the time really. But I didn't eat a buffet the entire time that I was there. I didn't watch a whole lot of basketball, and honestly, we spent a little too much time in the hotel. I, I didn't play blackjack either, which normally I do for a long time. So the only I did a little bit of craps one night. A little you bit were you were out. lucky to avoid craps on uh, yeah. Thursday night because That's what I hear. yeah, you I, where did you go? You just went back to uh, change at, at your hotel room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We went because that was before we went out to sushi, right? That was that. That was afterwards. Oh, oh yeah, and after because we were going out. One yeah. member of our group lost a thousand dollars at the craps table <laughs> in I think about ten minutes. Yeah, that's always good. I'm glad to have avoided that because I will say that I'm pretty fun in Vegas. But if I lose a lot of money in a short period of time, I get real salty in a hurry. So I'm I rallied. Glad. I was telling you I rallied playing a switch blackjack, which I had never done before. Uh, it's you're playing two hands at once, and you can flip. You can flip your top card. Now, the rub there is that if the dealer gets 22, it's a push. So that's kind of how they gain their edge back. And then I think if you get a blackjack, it's, it's not two to one. It's, it's just yeah. a regular payout. Um, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I, was trying, I saw you and Ryan playing Pygow. I'm not going to explain to you how to play the game. I'm just going to tell you that if you like entertainment, don't ever play Pygow. You push like 90% of the time. And it's so basically the goal of Pygow is you just sit there and you don't have that much money left and you want a bunch of free drinks for like six hours. So you're just drinking for free and your money like goes and then it comes back and then it goes and then it comes back. <laughs> like you, 
I think actually Ryan somehow made $100 while we were playing at that table, which is like a miracle. <laughs> because you don't make any money or lose any money on Pie Guy. It's basically just well, I guess a game it's, of it's, push. Yeah, it's a good game if like you want to spend some quality time in the casino and not have yeah. to worry about losing $1,000 in yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's a game that if, you, if you're you know risk-averse and you don't want to lose a lot of money, play that for sure. But for someone who it, it w- is down to p- go to Vegas, is you know, spend a little money. It's just like, yeah. well, I'm just sitting here wasting time. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we uh, covered everything, covered every angle. L underscore Rod, you man, you got you to gotta give us your hangover cure. Maybe uh, we can yeah. use that. I think I saw on Twitter that it's his birthday coming up here. Well, happy birthday. So I think that's probably, he had a little self-serving. He wanted to know what he needs to do for, oh, okay. for his birthday okay. coming up here. Well, definitely hydrate. That's yeah. That's definitely number one for sure. Come to Blake Street Tavern, you can get yourself a nice birthday beer. All right, Tyler, thanks for joining me on this show, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock to my tape pop.